I'm glad you're joining us on Radio Free Georgia's In Tune to Nature program. I'm host Carrie Freeman, coming to you from Atlanta in January of 2022. Today, we're going to be talking about mutual concern for human rights and non-human animal rights with a provocative discussion about the intersection of immigration, migration, discrimination, the human-animal divide, and speciesism. Our guest is Dr. Natalie Cazal of Georgia Tech, discussing a book she recently co-edited with Spanish scholar Nuria Almiron called Like an Animal, Critical Animal Studies Perspectives on Borders, Displacement, and Othering. Let me tell you about her. Dr. Natalie Cazal is an assistant professor in the School of Modern Languages at Georgia Institute of Technology and an American Council of Learned Societies Fellow for her work on Arab atheists. She studies the links among disenfranchisement, media, and language. Dr. Kazal is the author of the 2018 book, Pretty Liar, Television, Language, and Gender in Wartime Lebanon, which shows how Lebanese people demanded responsive media at times of unrest and deep social divisions. Additionally, among her co-authored publications on critical animal studies are articles on speciesism in the U.S. and Spanish media and EU policy on vivisection, as well as her co-edited volume that shows how we can bend the arc of the moral universe toward justice for human and non-human refugees and migrants. The book is called Like an Animal, Critical Animal Studies Perspectives on Borders, Displacement, and Othering, published by Brill in 2021, and that's the book we'll be discussing today. Dr. Kazal is on the advisory board of Ideas Beyond Borders, an organization that promotes the free exchange of ideas and defends human rights from extremists and authoritarian regimes in the Arab world. She also served as the founding faculty advisor to the first Texas chapter of No Lost Generation, a student initiative for global refugee and migrant crisis relief efforts. And she was nominated for the Achievements in Climate and Inclusion 2019 Award at Texas A&M University, for encouraging and facilitating more inclusive and welcoming climate for all. Originally from Bulgaria, Dr. Kazal earned her PhD from UCLA, teaching at Georgetown and Texas A&M before starting on the faculty at Georgia Tech here in Atlanta. Welcome, Dr. Kazal. Thank you for having me, Carrie. Yeah, I just thought we'd start by a little bit about you. What was it from your experiences in Bulgaria with immigration or maybe your own immigration that got you interested in exploring the overlapping narratives of immigration, animalization, and dehumanization? It was two encounters with two different people, one actually in Bulgaria and the other one in Lebanon. So um, my grandparents, when they retired, they bought a little house on the Turkish-Bulgarian border, which um, also uh, their neighbor was uh, was one of the principals of a, of a high school. Um, he used to come only in the summers, but then later, after he retired, he actually moved there, and now he still lives there. So the uh, German press actually wrote about him a whole article, you know, interviewing him and and other people, but him as well. Um, and basically, in that article, they described him how he had a really very uh, humanist. Uh, and humane attitude towards the refugees. Because this is on the border, once the refugee crisis started, a lot of refugees started just crossing there and, and, and you know, on foot going through that village. And he was really kind and nice to them. He would give them water, sometimes bread, you know, just help them out. Right. And he said, you know, they are humans just like you and me. 
And so compared that, uh, I compared that to another experience I had when I was in Lebanon, when I was doing research there, um, the person who was not the landlord, but he was kind of the manager of the apartment that I was renting. And we started talking and he said that he wanted to immigrate to Poland. And long story short, he said like, oh, it's kind of like awful there because of all these uh, refugees that are going to Poland and they're just like, um, you know, just making matters worse for, for, for all of us. Um, and he said like, oh, these animals, and mm. I was shocked to hear, you know, that perspective. And so I started comparing, you know, okay, look, that in the, in the, you know, German press got very positive reviews. He was treating them, you know, they're just like you and me. And then this other person talks about them like, like they're animals. And right. so right. that really got me interested in that whole, I guess, comparison between different places that were dealing with refugees in Lebanon. There is a huge, uh, you know, about uh, 2 million Syrian refugees are in Lebanon um, and the country is just four and a half million. So it's like 30% of the people there are refugees. Um, But that was, you know, that was one of the kind of like um, sparks. And there was another spark. I was teaching a class on uh, these kinds of matters on minorities, on refugees and whatnot. Um, And then two of the students in the class, because my classes are based on projects, you know, students have to do projects in them. And so two of the students came to me and they said, like, as their project, they wanted to found the first Texas chapter of the No Last Generation organization, which is the student organization that connects refugee organizations with NGOs, with governments and and whatnot for relief efforts. And so when I when I when I saw that these students actually were affected by what I was teaching my class, I said, (laughs) I mean, oh, my goodness, now I have to write the book. Yeah, and I always tell my students, like, they don't realize, they think that only professors, uh, you know, influence their thinking, but the opposite is just as true. They don't realize how much they themselves inspire us as professors. And, you know, in this case, this is what happened. Oh, that's awesome. And I know that, um, like me, you're someone who studies and supports animal rights also. We would call it the field critical animal studies. Um, how did your interest in animal protection come about? Well, my interest in critical animal studies actually is a, it, it, it came from just in general supporting animal rights. And um, I actually, over 30 years ago, I realized, and that happened overnight, I realized that the system was immoral. And, you know, that was a huge, that made a huge impact on my whole life, on like my lifestyle and my thinking. But then I became more active when I was at UCLA, when, when I was doing my PhD, and not so much from the schoolwork that I was doing. But one time I saw a flyer for something called Vegan Toastmasters. Toastmasters is an international speech club where you, you know, kind of you go and then you develop your public speaking skills right. uh, in a supportive environment. And that was like a vegan Toastmasters. Um, at the time, I was I didn't realize what it was. I thought it was just like a one time they, they would give us some tips how to speak about veganism. And then when I joined, I say, I saw that it's a it's an organization that, you know, you come there on a weekly or semi-weekly basis. And I loved it. And that was really helpful for me to, you know, to basically hone in um, these kind of ideas. And then were you already vegan at the time 
And so this is just helping you articulate and express the reasons why. Yes, correct. Which is great to get you uh, in in the in shape to write a book. (laughs) So my next question is about your book. In your co-edited book called Like an Animal, one of the goals was to explore how speciesism plays a primary role in questions of refuge, borders, displacement, migration, and dehumanization. And I'm going to have you explain this because when we think of speciesism as upholding oppression of non-human, well, because we tend to think of speciesism just in terms of non-human animals, like speciesism means we discriminate against other animals as not being morally relevant beings because they're not human. But then how is speciesism also a framework for upholding oppressions against certain humans, in particular human immigrants and refugees? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is an excellent question, actually. Um, speciesism is the framework within which we understand immigration, and not only immigration, but also minorities, uh, all sorts of outgroups, so mm. to speak, not like our own group, but like uh, you know other groups, and refugees for the most part in the US and um, throughout the world, um, because um, basically what happens is people um, divide you know, uh, uh, groups of humans into those that are really human and those that are not human. And so they dehumanize them. But dehumanization to deny somebody their, you know, quote unquote, human origins or human roots means that you have to compare them to something else. And that something else is very negative. And that something else is other animals. And so we can't really have dehumanization without having this Uh, universal group that is the most, um, I guess, um, uh, that that lacks any moral consideration, um, that that is basically, it could be abused, it could be killed um, and exploited without any repercussions. And so when you move a group of humans from what is considered to be, you know, the human, I guess, um, the, the, like some the ideal label. notion of a human, yeah, some human privileged label, notion. right? Which, you know, you kind of enjoy protection when you have that label, when you move them outside of that label, and that this is what, what we call the divide, the divide between yeah. human and non-human, when you move them out, they lose protection just because other animals are not protected. We don't have laws to protect them from, you know, being killed, from being eaten, from right. being exploited. Right. You know, you don't have these kinds of laws that we have for humans. And so once you move the human, like one human group from the protected part into the other side of the divide, which is not protected, they're basically open to be exploited, to be mistreated um, and whatnot. Um, and I can just give you one example. I mean, yeah. in the, during the, during the pandemic, uh, take for example the the meat industry, the so-called meat industry. So refugees and immigrants are really the backbone of that industry because the proportion um, of them uh, working in that industry is higher than in any other U.S. industry, and that's probably true for the most for most of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but that the, the fact that they are like so numerous in that industry doesn't give them any protection or any mm. bargaining power. For instance, in the beginning of the pandemic around May, 90% of all the COVID cases in some counties came from the meatpacking plants like Tyson. Oh gosh. And workers there didn't have any uh, uh, PPE, no protection. If they felt sick, 
like some of them said in the press, they just had to take a Tylenol and keep on working because they didn't, if they didn't work, they wouldn't get a paycheck. Right. Um, I don't know if uh, the listeners remember, but Trump banned the meat industry from closing uh, during that part of the pandemic in order to quote unquote, feed America. And so, you know, so they had to work in dangerous conditions and, in and some conditions. people died because of it. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and also spread the disease even against yeah. their will. And at the same time, they're called by the U.S. president animals, mm. you know, um, they, they they don't enjoy protection. Um, and, you know, if we th- if we think of a border as something that, you know, it's no longer a line of this in the sun, in the sand, but it's like a system of these practices that even the U.S. president, you know, and performances that we, we can call like the border. And now the border is not just between two countries, but there is an internal border. There is a border between the refugees and between like the rest of the U.S., right? With the refugees being mistreated in in certain ways, being called animals, being called whatnot. And so here you see this dehumanization um, at the root of which lies speciesism being turned on uh, against the refugees against the immigrants, not just the refugees against, you know, the displaced and the displaced. These are the second most vulnerable minority in the world in the meatpacking industry. That uh, very vulnerable minority actually faces the task of killing the world's number one most vulnerable group, which is non-human animals that are used for food. And so we see, we see that interconnection between speciesism, between the divide between animals and, and, and human and non-human animals, and how governments can manipulate the life mm-hmm. of refugees, and also refugees can manipulate the life of other animals, and they have de- and they decide basically who gets to live and who gets to die and be eaten. Um, wow, you know, that's so powerful. I, I think that's analogy. Um, is a strong one in terms of the vulnerability of everyone then in the slaughterhouse, maybe except for some of the managers, Yeah. but um, the immigrant workers who are exploited and very vulnerable. And then the, um, the non-human animals, whether they be the chickens or the turkeys or the cows or the pigs who are um, being killed because they also don't, don't matter or only matter, you know, in a money-making way. Um, Speaking of divides and borders, I was going to talk about that human animal divide a little bit more because in your book, Like an Animal, the book we're discussing, um, you say one of the book's main critiques is aimed at those who solidify and defend the human animal divide because this human animal division ultimately negatively affects both human and non-human animals. Can you explain, as I imagine that like many well-meaning human rights activists struggle to show the humanity of marginalized human groups by claiming they're not animals. But then those well-meaning people are deepening this divide in the hierarchy by kind of saying like, oh, let's keep animals down and bring this group of humans up. Like, and so I don't know. So they're ultimately trying to help humans, but they're maybe not helping animals in the process. I don't know if there's a way that you can help humans and show that that human group matters without denigrating um, other animals or acting like other animals also don't matter. 
this is a very profound question and you put it in, in really easy, I think, terms to understand. Um, so you're right. People who defend refugees and immigrants and other minorities struggle really hard because they don't realize uh, the essential meaning of speciesism or the prejudice against other species that is used as framework for dehumanization and framework for uh, discrimination and uh, disenfranchisement of human minorities. And it is used as a, as I said, as a framework, but they don't realize it. And instead of getting rid of the whole system, of the whole framework, what they do is they try to quote unquote rehumanize you know, these minorities. And this is something that is quite popular these days. We have to rehumanize them. Unfortunately, when you rehumanize them, what you do is, you know, you are shifting what's known as the soft divide. This is the divide between different human groups, you know, different uh, between those that have the protection and those that, you know, like refugees and stuff. May or not by have the race or class. Right, right. Or yeah. Uh -huh. So you're shifting that little line, that soft divide, but by shifting it, you are making the hard divide, which is between humans and other species, mm. very, very entrenched. You're making it so deep. And just imagine this divide is so deep. And at any given moment, any political interest and political will, which has happened throughout history, can uh, just dehumanize them again. And they can just shift that line because the hard divine is all divide is always there. It's always there to be misused mm. and it's always there to basically incorporate yet another new group of humans that are denied their humanity. And so this process becomes this perpetual, you know, perpetual kind of uh, wheel that is turning and turning. And if you want to stop the wheel, you basically have to you know, completely demolish and destroy the hard divide, not just the soft divide. If you don't have a hard divide, there is no nowhere to move uh, a human minority out of protection. You know, and, there is there isn't another place. Mm -hmm. Right. Like it, it's because uh, I like to have us embrace our animality because humans are one um, animal species among many. But we we've given ourselves this exalted moral status Yes. Um, or at least some people we've given this exalted moral status. But um, I, there, if we, and your book tries to get at this, I think like if we didn't demonize animality as something to be ashamed of or have it be worthless, that to say that animals' lives don't matter at all, then you can't, that takes away some of the power to put human groups in that animal category. Like if, if, if we can't, if we can't, if we're not supposed to treat other animals badly, then we can't use that as a continual excuse to right. dehumanize um, yeah. humans. Um, yeah. And so I think that's part of where animal rights and human rights comes together to say that they can be mutually beneficial, even yeah. though I think human rights historically has not seen itself as aligned with animal rights and wants to separate, yeah. you know, like you say, to keep that hard divide. But we, you know, we should actually be questioning that hard divide and like what it would mean for humanity, if we started to embrace the fact that we're animals and embrace other animals, <laughs> you know, like all the good that could be done, not just for other animals, but for us too, and the way we would treat each other. 
yeah, they say humanism is a violent ideology. It's an ideology that is filled with, you know, all these sorts of, uh, I guess, um, you know, militant ideas that uh, project a unique nature of humans. Like humans are the only rational, humans are the only who have language, humans are the only this and the only that. And it turns out on most of these, they're not the only, but you know, having that ideology really is, uh, it has wreaked havoc on, on uh, not just on human societies and other animals, but on the planet in general. Definitely. If you're just joining us on Radio Free Georgia, this is In Tune to Nature, and I'm host Carrie Freeman talking with Dr. Natalie Kazal, Assistant Professor at Georgia Tech, about the book she co-edited with Nuria Almiron called Like an Animal, Critical Animal Studies, Approaches to Borders, Displacement, and Othering. Um, We only have uh, a few minutes left, but I know that in your book, you did a study on the way that newspapers in Bulgaria and Lebanon frame stories on immigration during the Syrian refugee crisis to kind of bring it back to the beginning where we started. Um, And did you find that, uh, that they were using some kind of dehumanizing language or um, reinforcing that human animal divide? Yeah, absolutely. Journalists, maybe not even realizing they're doing it. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think a lot of them, probably all of them uh, never realized that, Um, but they did use uh, many techniques of dehumanization, indirect dehumanization, direct dehumanization when they actually call them animals and even infrahumanization, which is like you deny them some of these so-called higher level emotions, Mm. you know, like creativity and, and, and whatnot. Um, but let me give you an example how this happened in the newspapers. One of the, I think, most notorious examples was in Bulgaria, at least, it was somebody uh, called Dinko. So apparently this Dinko from some you know, little town in the mountain, he uh, made a name out, uh, for himself in the, in the media by claiming that he's a refugee hunter. And so just mm. compare the refugee hunter with hunter of other animals, you know, and so he collected a bunch of, um, you know, kind of um, hooligans like him, and they went out to the borders and tried to patrol the borders and try to, you know, capture refugees. Um, and he was the 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 press, the right wing press, both uh, made him to be a hero, but at the same time they really ridiculed him. For instance, they were saying like he is a provincial, you know, boy who bravely says that he would kill and just see where they put the word bravely. He doesn't bravely kill. He bravely says that he's going to kill refugees. And uh, and he had like all sorts of shenanigans, like he would show off in a tank on the freeway yeah. and, you know, just like stuff like that. So basically that trope the refugee hunter and the refugee hunt became uh, one of the most, um, I guess, notorious examples uh, of dehumanization and also of how speciesism as a framework was used against refugees in this particular case. Because is it like, is it like he's hunting like he's out in the woods to kill deer or something? Is that kind of the impression you got? Yes. The hunting analogy. Yeah. 
Exactly. You know, he's the hunter against, you know, these other animals. But in that case, the other animal species was the refugees, the Syrian refugees. And I guess in that case, I shouldn't have maybe used deer as an example. It's more of like a predatory animal, because then that's what they're saying, that the species, the refugees are so supposedly dangerous, they deserve to be killed. Like we, we also demonize like carnivorous animals or something, and we're scared of them. And a lot of times we don't need to be, but anyway, and then we kill them, whether it's wolves or coyotes or panthers Mm -hmm. or other animals. So, yeah. So I see what you're saying there. Mm -hmm. And another example, let me give you from the Lebanese press. um, There was like multiple, um, you know, people who um, got outed in the press for, for instance, one person was inciting his like a three-year-old or five-year-old to uh, hit a Syrian refugee. Mm-hmm. And the press called this man an animal in human form. Mm-hmm. So again, see how the human non-human divide was used here for him to be, you know, basically not part of the human uh, species. Um, And they had like a bunch of other examples, like uh, some of them were refugees themselves when they were interviewed, they were protesting, you know, we are not animals or chickens even live better than us. And so here we see how they want to basically really reinstate the deep divide between uh, the hard divide between humans and non-humans and include themselves within the human category because they feel themselves excluded. And so these kinds of examples were abounding in in both uh, the Lebanese and and Bulgarian press. Well, we're out of time, Dr. Kazal, but I didn't know if there was a book or two that you wanted to just quickly mention um, in case somebody wanted to read more on the topic of speciesism and dehumanization. I would... um, very much recommend a book by an author called Melanie Joy, which is called Why We Love Dogs, Eat Pigs and Wear Cows. And it's an introduction to carnism, uh, you know, yeah. eating meat and also to speciesism. Um, in terms of dehumanization, there is a book that I would recommend again, with the caveat that it also includes some dehumanization, but it gives us also a good idea about, uh, sorry, uh, includes some speciesism, but it gives us a a general overall view of dehumanization. And this book is called Less Than Human. The author is David Livingstone Smith. Okay, Less Than Human. Well, that's the end of our show, but I want to thank you, Dr. Natalie Kazal, for being with us on Radio Free Georgia's In Tune to Nature program. And thanks for the work you do developing critical animal studies within a social justice context. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. And thank to you. our listeners, thank you for tuning in to In Tune to Nature, broadcasting every Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time, online at wrfg.org and on Atlanta radio station 89.3 FM. We post action items, news, and podcasts of the show's website on the show's website, facebook.com backslash to nature. The views and opinions expressed on the show do not necessarily reflect those of WRFG, its board, staff, or volunteers. I'm one of those volunteers. I'm host Carrie Freeman asking you to please support independent non-commercial media like Radio Free Georgia. And remember to take care of yourself and others, including other species. Thanks for listening. Cheers.